Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC, and this episode is a Pillar and Ground Confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith, and today we turn to the topic and the person of Jesus Christ in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 8. So we begin chapter 8. I want to read a quote from Robert Murray McShane in a 1840 letter. He said this, Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him, and let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. And that's exactly what we intend to do in Westminster chapter 8 is to look upon Jesus And to see the excellency of Christ, our chosen mediator, is where we begin today in 8.1. As we consider Jesus, our chosen mediator, I want to point out the first words of chapter 8.1 right away. The modern version says, God was pleased. Other versions say, it pleased God. What is it that pleased God? It was to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man. Please understand this and take it to heart, believer in Christ. It did not begrudge God to save you. It pleased Him. We tend to think wrongly and sadly about how salvation came to be. We think like this, that somehow Jesus came into the world not only, as R.C. Sproul says, to get us to overcome our hostility toward God, but also to change the Father's hostility toward us. Somehow we tend to believe that the son convinced and convinces the angry and hostile father to be gracious to us. But the scriptures, as represented in this confessional statement, reveal salvation is the father's initiative. And it is not done in a begrudging manner, but it pleases him to do it. And thus that well-known verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world he gave. And so the confession begins, God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man. Let's consider 8.1 with the following framework. There's one chosen mediator who has three offices, three titles, and receives one wonderful gift. First, one chosen mediator, Jesus the scripture clearly points to Jesus as our mediator in 1 Timothy 2.5, saying, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He's a chosen mediator. Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Notice even that as Jesus is chosen as mediator, it does not deny his responsibility. And that is the same with us in our election. That's just an interesting observation. But when you consider Jesus, our chosen mediator, think about mediators for a second. Mediators are often used in disputes. If you need a mediator, there's the basic assumption that there has been a breach. There has been an estrangement. 
Indeed, that is true. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Or as written in Colossians 1, 21-22, And you, who once were alienated in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Jesus, as mediator, fulfills all the promises of the covenant and thus mediates reconciliation between God and man. The Old Testament and the New Testament are not to be thought of as a contrast between law and gospel or law and grace, but instead, as Sinclair Ferguson helpfully notes, it is an issue of promise and fulfillment. Gospel is present in the Old Covenant as promise, and gospel is present in the New Covenant as fulfillment. And that fulfillment and mediation takes place as Jesus fulfills the three offices. The confession refers to those three offices, saying, as the mediator, he is the prophet, priest, and king. Let's think about those three fulfilled offices. Prophet. The role of a prophet is the promised covenant. Uh, was mediated was to speak the truth of God. At the heart of the office of prophet was God's revelation to the people and God's revelation to the kings through the prophets. And Peter, when he spoke in Solomon's portico in Acts chapter 3, says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, that is Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And that was through the prophetic ministry of Jesus. You see, the fulfillment of the promised prophet is Jesus. He is a prophet greater than Moses, and he does not just proclaim the word of God or refer to the word of God. He is the very word of God in flesh. He is the source of authority himself. Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see, we move from promise to fulfillment in Jesus in the office of prophet, but he's also a priest. The role of a priest was focused on offering sacrifices, intercession, propitiation, atonement. The Scripture declares Jesus as eternal high priest who offered up one sacrifice to do away with all of our sin for all time. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 6 says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The entire book of Hebrews testifies to Jesus as final sacrifice, the final lamb, the final priest. He's done what no priest could ever do. He sat down. Hebrews says day after day, priests stood offering sacrifices, but this final priest, Jesus sits down, meaning the atoning and sacrificial work is finished. We move from promise to fulfillment in Jesus in the office of priest. And then king, 
Kings were put in office to rule and reign over God's covenant people. They were called to administer the covenant by defending God's people from their enemies and by subjecting the people and the government to the law of God. Sadly, kings failed. They became the enemies of the covenant as they rejected God's law and aligned with God's enemies. But Jesus had promised to David's house, one would sit on the throne forever and ever. David's son would also be David's Lord. Psalm 2 is a song that was sung at the coronation of Israel's kings. And in verse 6, it says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You're my son, today I have begotten you. That very royal decree was spoken over Jesus at the baptism and transfiguration. Jesus, you see, is our promised king, fulfilling all the promises to David's line. As the angel said to Mary in Luke 1, he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the person and work of Jesus, the chosen mediator, moves from promise to fulfillment. As Jesus fulfills those three roles of all three covenant offices, prophet, priest, and king. And then the confession moves beyond the three offices to three titles or proclamations. It says, God was pleased in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and man. As the mediator, he is the prophet, priest, and king. And here's the titles and proclamations, the head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and the judge of the world. This one who is prophet, priest, and king, the only chosen mediator, is the head and savior of the church, his people. Colossians 1 says he is the head of the body, the church. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Those verses in Colossians 1 show both Christ as head and savior of the church by his blood. The implication is that as head of the body, just as the, our head rules the rest of our body and controls everything, we too are to live in submission and subjection to Christ, our head. He is not a tyrant. He is a savior, and that's good news for the one who is the head of the church. He has rescued us at his own expense. And so it's a very simple statement, but this truth is the church is not your church. It's not my church. It's Christ's church. He's the head. He's also the heir of all things, the confession says. Hebrews 1 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, the heir of all things. That's why Colossians 1 will refer to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation and later say he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The language of firstborn there is not a language of origins. It's a language of preeminence, of inheritance. He is the firstborn, and they would have understood that to mean culturally. That means he has all the inheritance. And the good news of him as heir of all things is what Galatians 3.29 says. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. 
because of Christ and his mediatorial work for us, fulfilling all the promises, all who are in him are heirs of all the blessings of the promise and all that belongs to Christ his son. And the confession finally gives him that title of judge. Acts 17, 30 through 31, Paul preaching says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Speaking right there of Jesus, the one risen from the dead appointed as mediator will come to judge the world. And therefore he commands all people everywhere to repent. So we've seen one chosen mediator, three fulfilled offices, price, prophet, priest, and king. Three titles or proclamations, head and savior of the church, heir of all things, and judge. And then there's the one gift. It says at the end of this, God gave to him from all eternity a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Do you know the gift that God gave to him from all eternity? What was that gift that God gave to the one mediator, his beloved son? The gift is us. A people to be his seed, the confession says. The implication? We are Jesus' eternally promised gift, his people. We are his treasure. God is pleased to appoint Jesus in order to give him the gift, a people to be his seed who those people, the confession says, he will redeem, call, justify, sanctify, and glorify. This is spoken of as the hope of Jesus, the the intent of Jesus in Isaiah 53.10, the suffering servant. You may not have noticed this, but it says in verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. So he dies. Here's what the text says. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How does a dead man have offspring that are numerous? He rises from the dead and he receives the gift of people from every nation, tribe, language. Romans 5.17 says he does that because he is the second Adam. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What was the eternally promised gift from God to the Son? It's us, his people. And so we summarize 8.1. It pleased God to choose his only son as the only mediator who as prophet, priest, and king fulfills the covenant and as head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and the judge of the world. And we, his people, are his gift and treasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Pillar and Ground. We look forward to you joining us for future episodes.